Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Welcome to episode 17. Well, you might have spotted that we've moved from a weekly edition to a fortnightly format. I hope that means that uh, there's not too much of a gap in between episodes for you, and you can always go back into the archives, because some of that content I think is well worth a second or a third listen. In this episode, we have a very special guest. He's a stand-up comedian, he's a published author, or he will be as of July the 13th this year, and he's an excellent guitar player. He's called Andrew O'Neill, and Andrew and I have a lot in common, but we also have a lot not in common. And I thought it would be interesting to hear from someone who leads a different lifestyle to most of us. Someone who maybe has got different views to you, but who still seems to have the same challenges when it comes to motivation, procrastination and, well, getting stuff done. Have a listen particularly for some of his alternative solutions to setting goals and planning. On the face of it, they're certainly not conventional. But in fact, if you dig a bit deeper they do seem to have a lot more in common with some of the more everyday stuff that we talk about on here than you might think of at first. Andrew joined us from his London flat, having found a gap in his busy schedule. And the conversation picks up shortly after we'd managed to get the technology his end and my end to join up. Okay, so I am now recording in Zencaster. In Zencaster. You are now recording... Audio content into Zencaster. One day when I'm being interviewed for a job and someone says to me, what are, you, what are your strengths? I shall say, I can tell you the name of any voice on any advert. <laughs> nice. I can tell you who the person is. Yeah. So what I do is I nudge Lisa and I say, that's Joanna Lumley, that is. <laughs> and, and she's now learned to say, I know. Well, how do you know? You're not in the business. How would you know something like that? Uh, you're pretending, aren't you? Go on, try and get me to say Indian bread again. So anyway, that's the end of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming. I've had a lovely day, Chris. I come here with nothing. <laughs> You've got your you've got your special prize. You've got your bully tankard. So uh, it says it says on this thing here, um, we'll have a relaxed chat about what you've been up to today, <laughs> and then it says a chat about how we've met each other. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I I believe I've known you for almost all of my life. I don't think you were there right at the start. Um, what I've been doing today. Well, for the last hour, I've been talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> for the last hour, we've been trying to connect our system. I've logged. I, I went through. I put my biometric data into Zencaster. <laughs> Why does it need my Irish yeah. print? It just does that. It's just its thing. It um, it. What colour socks have you got on? I haven't got any socks on. Okay. It's a hot day. What are you wearing? I'm wearing my Ultra of Plagues T-shirt. Yes. And my Mountain Warehouse shorts. Yes. And my glasses. I mean, how much detail do you need here? Pants, wearing some underpants. I've got my wedding ring on, my watch. It's a Casio F91W, a design classic. I think that's uh, I think that's probably sufficient. Okay. So I have um I have down the line uh Andrew O'Neill who I'm very 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 
pleased to be talking to for a number of reasons. Um, and it's a bit of a coincidence because our surname is our, it's both it's O'Neill, isn't it? Yes, we've With got the same L's. surname. It's exactly and, the same. And yes, the same mother's maiden name. Yes. Yes. And uh, approximately 98 to 99% of the same genetic information. Yeah, but more importantly, we both have the same original postcode, don't we? Yeah, no. So for the benefit of anybody online, the mother's maiden name is Smith. <laughs> the postcode <laughs> is <laughs> P019UB. <laughs> well, I, I just, I, sorry, I, I logged on to the BBC. You know, you have to log on to the BBC iPlayer now. Yes. It asks for your postcode. And tell so them, so tell put, them you've got a license. Yeah, I put in the postcode of BBC Broadcasting House. W1A1AA. <laughs> <laughs> and it went, yes, that's fine. <laughs> and then you said, but I haven't got a license. <laughs> Do you have a license? No, we'll be round shortly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so the next question it says on this list that I don't have in front of me mm. is who are you? Who are you? And where are you from? And what do you do for a living? So generally speaking, when I record these conversations with people, we do a little bit of preamble about who the person is yeah. and where they're from. Yeah. So I'll let you tell the people that are hopefully, well, the, I say the people listen to this podcast. I'm being quite optimistic. Let's say the person that's listened to this podcast. Okay, isn't it? And uh, so who, who are you? I'm Andrew O'Neill. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm a musician. Um, I, I'm also relatively recently have become a writer. I've just written a book, A History of Heavy Metal. Um, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um, I'm, um, some people call me the space cowboy. Um, some call me the gangster of love. Um, and I'm your brother. Oh, yes, that's, you are, aren't yeah. you? I'd forgotten that bit. That's your, oh. I'm, your, I'm your younger, youngest, younger... Youngest you brother. I'm the you younger are. of your two brothers. I'm you also are. the least f- fireman-y. <laughs> um, so you do a, your stand-up, but, so you stand up. I did my, my main, yeah, the main thing that is, that is my, the kind of core of my artistic professional identity is stand-up comedian. That's the thing that, that's the, the spine that all my other stuff hangs from. So what would you say then, as, a, as um, a bit of exclusivity for our listeners, what's one thing about stand-up comedy that most people don't know? It's an addiction. Okay. It's absolutely an addiction. And, um, yeah, a, a friend of mine, Tin Duyeb, has type 1 diabetes. That's the, that's the good kind. That's the, that's the, that's the, you know, the, the real kind. And... He was hooked up to a machine that measured things like heart rate, blood sugar level, obviously, and various other physiological indicators. And he was hooked up to this thing for a month. And at the end of the month, his doctor said, what are you doing at 10 o'clock every night? And he said, I'm doing stand-up. Oh, that makes sense. Because there's a physiological response. And when you first do it, you get really nervous. And those nerves what nerves are as a physiological thing. It's adrenaline and various other stuff. Um, that stuff still happens, but you just get so used to it, it doesn't feel like nerves anymore. It just feels like readiness. And when you don't gig, that still happens anyway. So at 10 o'clock every night, I get really restless. <laughs> and you stand on the table. And I just stick my head out the window and <laughs> ask people passing by what they do for a living. <laughs> 
You say you point to two people in the street and say, "You over there, stamp your feet. You over there, clap your hands." <laughs> that's right. And, and that's how racism starts. The neighbours get really sick of it. I'm mixing. I'm mixing my own ill comedy there. Okay, well, that's interesting. So, so when you say it's an addiction, but what what would you say you're addicted to? The there's a few different elements to it. Obviously, one of them is that physiological thing, the the endorphins that you get from, um, and the um, what's the other one? Not endorphins. Dopamine. Yeah, the dopamine hit you get. So, comedy is brilliant, and it's it's really good fun, and making an audience. Making an audience of people who don't know who you are laugh is one of the greatest things. And there's an element of, it's, I suppose, ego <laughs> massaging. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and um, it's comedy's the, the thing I'm best at. And so when I don't get to do that, it feels like I'm not living the, the, the life I should be living. So, how long have you been doing stand up for? 16 and a half years. Yeah, did you start when you were five? Oh, oh hello, very kind of you. What do I... What, oh. what? 37? Do I have a picture in my loft? Um, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a joke about that, which no one gets, uh, which is I've got, I've got, I have got a picture in my loft, but also I've got yes. a print of that picture in my loft. Yes. And the, the, so the picture itself, and it, it just tails off like that. It is a good joke. I like it. So... Is there such thing as an average day for you? No, I mean, I my schedule is 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 very erratic, which made it very difficult. It makes it very difficult to have anything like a routine, yes, um, which impacts on on my productivity and to a degree my mental health. So when yes. I was writing my book, I gigs gigs are usually clustered. I mean, I do I do I aim to do about five or six gigs a week. Yeah, the most important ones, the the, the bigger payers are on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, when I was doing my book, I was only doing one or two gigs a week. But often I'd be, I get into a, a something of a routine writing sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday okay. I'd get on a train, go up to Manchester, do a couple of gigs, and then come back. And then my routine would be completely disrupted. So my sleep patterns are out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, this week, so I just got back from the Download Festival. So I did stand up there, stayed over at the festival. This week I've not had much in the way of gigs, but. I went to see uh, some musician friends of mine doing a thing, and then I hung out with them yesterday. Um, did some admin, did some emails in a cafe. So yeah, so I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm absolutely, absolutely all over the place. So that, I guess, it that just becomes a way of life. Yeah, totally. And 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 again, when I was writing the book, I became quite uncomfortable with being in the flat for as long as I was, and you know the. What because it because it was routine? Yeah, and because and look, I really I really love travelling. I really love the the mental state I get when I'm on a train or on a coach. Yeah, routine is is has routine has become quite uncomfortable for me. So how do things how do things make it to the top of your list? Then is it my to do list? Just, yeah, do you have a to do list? Uh, yes, but I think it's out of date now. <laughs> how do you so what's your approach to sort of is it anything that's routine no i try i try thing is i have adhd as well so this is this is this this all impacts on this as well um i try to if i had an ideal routine right it would be this we get up at 10 a.m uh today i got up at 1 p.m i think maybe even later 
And the first thing I would do would be to fill an A4 page with essentially automatic writing. So it's not quite the same as the morning pages thing that some people do. They sit down and write their thoughts out. Yeah. In fact, I'd go one step further, um, one step back rather. I try to record my dreams. What equipment do you use? I use use the dream recorder from Red Dwarf. Um, (laughs) uh, I use a a notepad that I've tied to my bed so I don't lose and some sort of writing implement. So I'm trying to get into the routine of of recording my dreams. This is as part of my ritual magic practice, which we'll probably come to in a bit more detail later. Um, I would attempt to uh, essentially dump my subconscious brain onto a piece of paper so it's not like morning pages it's not that that kind of thought through it's literally just filling a page with writing usually the first few words are nonsense words the word gravy comes out early almost always which is why i did that routine a few years ago about gravy um and then but what what in contrast to that what actually happens is i get up i open my laptop i'll go on facebook I'll open my Hotmail two or three hours later <laughs> I'll decide that I probably need to eat and have a cup of tea and maybe brush my teeth and wash and do those sorts of things that normal people do. So I have a fairly ambient day usually. I The things that are, the things that are priorities are usually because someone's saying, I really need you to answer those interview questions, <laughs> which has genuinely just reminded me there are some interview questions I need to. We can uh, practice if you like. So there's, if that feels to me like there's a kind of um, a natural order that things naturally push themselves to the top of the list without you actually having to put much effort into it. In fact, you yeah. don't put any effort into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and occasionally I try to become more productive. Um, so, how, so tell me about that then. How, what happens when you occasionally try to become more productive? What's that, what's that world like? To, I do a to-do list. Yes. Um, is number one do the to-do list number one is read to do the to do the to-do list it becomes yeah recursive <laughs> um I, I had a wonderful thing about recursion um this person re, re, the person was writing about the first time they, they ever realized what recursion was before knowing what it was called they were watching sesame street and big bird had just painted a bench and then he painted a sign that said wet paint and then he realized that the sign had wet paint on it so I had to do another sign that said wet paint. Beautiful. And it just went and it kept going back to him and he was just absolutely surrounded by wet paint signs. And this <laughs> this person as a kid was panicking at the implication of this, oh, uh, this Sisyphean kind of punishment. <laughs> so so you so you, you try to do a to-do list. What happens then? I mainly just try and write. That's the thing. Try and try and create ideas, and and I have various different methods for creating ideas. Um, one of them is that thing of just just splurging my brain onto a piece of paper, just fill a piece yeah. of, a, of of A4. Um, yeah. That nearly always comes out with something usable, because the building blocks of comedy, the way I go about it, are these little insights into my unconscious brain. The other thing I can do is go onto websites that have random word generators. Yeah. And I'll pick, you know, the first three words, I make myself write a joke, at least one workable joke about each word. And if they're any good, they'll make it onto Twitter, probably. If they're very good, they'll make it into my set. And yeah, just 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 these little techniques of of of, of generating stuff. And then usually that will build into something a bit 
more concrete. The other thing I do is I keep notebooks so that when I have an idea, I write it down and then I can go back to that and develop it. But Do you have a notebook on you at all times? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I think I've got a lot of notebooks. And, yeah. um, my, fav- my favorite are the field notes ones that come from Chicago mm-hmm. because um, they, they're, they're, they look cool. They're brown um, and they have a set of instructions inside the cover that tell you the sorts of things you can do with them, yeah, um, which is which is quite amusing. But I like the fact that it's it's so pocket sized. I can I can you know it's not like a moleskin or anything like that. I can put these in any any pair of trousers, any pocket, and I literally I have a little Fisher space pen, right? Which um, is that the one you can write upside down with? Yeah, which which um, my son um, pointed out to me that if indeed you are underwater. Writing on a bit of paper is probably not near the, the top of your list. <laughs> Getting out of the water is probably probably uh, more important, which is kind of a bit of an insight into what's important in the world, really. But, it, but I guess number one, get some dry. <laughs> <laughs> Be near less water. Um, so this little Fisher space pen, I like it because actually when it when it's folded up, it's three inches long, so it can it can fit in my pocket. Um, it has a proper lid, which means it's covered up with a little nice little rubber seal on it, mm-hmm. and it writes unerringly, it, it hot, cold, whatever. Nice. Um, so I have that pad, my pen, in my pocket at all times, by the side of my bed at night. I mean, apart from having a shower, mm-hmm. it's uh, oh, it's I've got I've got a waterproof notepad in my shower. Where did you get that from? Uh, I don't know. My wife bought it for me. Um, Fantastic. But be- and do you know why? <laughs> it's because it 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 because the shower's wet. No, well, that's partly, but you're one step be- behind. Because um, I used to go, Stephanie, can you write this down? I've had an idea. Um, and so I have a, a – and the paper's sort of waxy, and the pen is like a sort of ceramic marker wow. type thing. And, yeah, and, and, and because cause I have ADHD, I'm, I'm terrible at filtering out input. So when I'm sat in my room, I've – just got an absolute load of stuff to look at and to be distracted yeah. by. Yeah, yeah. The internet is just the worst thing for people with with ADHD. But doing a physical, a mundane physical task that's kind of absorbing, like having a shower, suddenly become it. It filters out all that input, and then and then these ideas start to emerge. Do you do um, meditation? Yeah, I do. And often it's quite good for me to just go, right, I can't decide. And this is, you know, what, right, what do I actually need to do today to be productive? Well, what I do is I, I set my timer on my phone for three minutes and I sit and I shut my eyes and I have a notepad yeah. next to me. And then after three minutes, I'll write down the things that have emerged that, have become, that are important. Okay. We, we link quite a lot on this podcast to um, people like Dan Harris that do 10% Happier and mm-hmm. I use Headspace myself. And um, I was listening today to one of, Dan Harris's podcast, and he was talking to uh, some American rock star who they were they were doing a meditation on, and he was saying that actually people who say they're no good at meditation are good at meditation because the whole point of meditation is recognizing when your brain goes off, and then you've got to pull it back in again. That is the act of meditation. Um, it's not some sort of blissful nirvana, no, absolutely mind state. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. When I say I'm no good at it, what I, what I fundamentally mean is when I meditate, I don't do it for very long. And I use it as as a, as a tool for for, means for to productivity, end. probably. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
stepping away from the stuff that you might call or people might call work in terms of either writing comedy, delivering comedy or, or, or stuff to do with that. How does that fit with the other stuff in life that you have to do? Because obviously there's, there's people and bills and everything in my, everything in my life is, is, is all part of the same thing. There's no, I have no work life balance whatsoever. Um, so quite often people will tell me how impressively productive I am and that is hilarious to me because I am maybe 10% as productive as I would like to be like the various limitations on the way my brain works mean that 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 just my brain gets in the way of of a lot of stuff and, and being I, I have i have a thing that i occasionally get which is which i've i've recognized as a as part of the cycle of creativity which is just complete lack of motivation and it's like a form of depression but yeah. without the unhappiness stuff i'm i'm happy with who i am as a person you know i don't beat myself up and the key the key to getting through those things those periods of of inactivity and and lack of motivation is to kind of be easier on myself and go well this is just what you're like this happens to you all the time um you've just got to you know sit out for a few days and then i reflect on the fact that i don't have days off yeah and what you're supposed to do is work for a few days and then have a couple of days where you don't do any work yes and i don't have that because okay i'm not productive enough when i am working to allow myself the days off, which I'm aware is uh, massively counterproductive. But interestingly, I mean, a lot of the, uh, if you look at things like the Pomodoro technique, for example, or yeah, yeah. there are other, other methods of productivity, the received wisdom is that you do a thing for a period of time and then you go and do a different thing mm-hmm. and then you come back to the thing. And by having that break away from it, you can be more productive. And it, from what yeah. you're describing to me, it sounds, actually, it's almost like those the break things, the change of things happen to you naturally. Yeah. It's either part of your ADHD or, or you know, oh, uh, jam. Um, yeah. And so maybe maybe actually you are being productive, but that process is happening, happening naturally. You're not having to do something to make it happen. Yeah, and if you looking at what I have produced this year, I've written a book. <laughs> so have you that. written a book, Andrew? <laughs> so there's that. Um, what's, your, what's your book called? It's called A History of Heavy Metal, and it's based on a show I did, uh, Andrew O'Neill's History of Heavy Metal, which I've done for a couple of years. And yeah, What's it's, it about? Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's about he- heavy metal. And I am taking a show to the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm, I've done a load of gigs with my band. Um, I've written some songs. But the thing yeah. is, my productivity, my work, is, is always, always has an end result, like a show. It's kind of showing off end result. Whereas... Okay. The people I know who work 40-hour weeks in jobs I don't like don't yeah. have anything to show for it other than yeah. the food on the table and the roof above their head. So, you know, I've, I've done stand-up consistently for 16 years, which other people see as you've worked really hard at that. But for me, comedy doesn't doesn't remotely feel like work. I talk quite a lot in, in, in this podcast and, and in other places about I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't think... I think it's a myth. I think it's right. a concept that was... Um, probably appropriate in the industrial revolution, or if you're doing a job today where you there is some physicality to your job. So if you're digging holes in the road, there is a yeah. point at which your job ends and you can uh, go home or go and do what you you want to do. 
um, there's a discrete partition between work and home. But for yeah. many people who work in, um, you know, the recently coined knowledge industry or people that work in uh, creative industry, those lines are much more blurry because yeah. there isn't the nine to five structure and actually our access to internet and email and social media and so on causes that that conf- that that confusion people call it confusion but i think actually what it's doing is it's saying to us there's no such thing as work life balance there's just life well there's a there's that notion isn't there that 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 work is the thing that you you wouldn't do if you if you you know if you could if you won the lottery would you stop doing your job if i won the lottery my life would be better because i wouldn't have to think in terms of the commercial viability of the art i create not that i <laughs> not that i <laughs> place a great deal of importance on it anyway um i you know i do have a kind of like if you make i strongly believe that if you make art that you that is up to your highest standard then other people will dig it but the no- yeah the notion that that you um that work is the is the thing that that you do in order to have a life um, is is pretty depressing. Yeah, but I I found ways of living cheaply. I hitchhiked to gigs. I slept on people's floors. Um, slept on a mate's landing for about nine months. Um, I found ways to live the life I wanted to live without, like cheaply, basically. My philosophy on work is, you know, work is work is just you're doing something that that makes something happen. And yeah. sometimes you get paid for it and sometimes you don't get paid for it. But once you remove that arbitrary label and you say, well, and for me, this comes back to meditation. My life right here, right now is talking to you. And mm-hmm. there's lots of other stuff that goes on in the world. But um, being able to focus on the fact that my life currently consists of talking to you and that's all that really matters. Mm. Um, and then applying that same logic when I'm doing a, you know, uh, in a meeting or doing a report or whatever, not getting hung up about the fact that I'm upset about it. Because to your point, if I'm upset about it, then I shouldn't be there. I should be doing something else. Um, yeah. That's quite interesting. So the more mundane things then, like um, paying bills mm-hmm. and attending to um, just the stuff, mm-hmm. how does that stuff happen? A certain amount of it is delegated to my wife in for a few different reasons. We we do quite well with um, a sort of feminist um, division of labour. Um, mm-hmm. I do nearly all the housework. Uh, main reason for that is that she works. She works the forty hour week. Yeah, and it's absolutely fair enough that she comes home to a house that is, you know like in a reasonable condition. I mean, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm less good at it than I should be partly for reasons of, of my brain worms, partly for reasons of patriarchal conditioning. That means that I don't place as much a high importance on it as I should. Um, just for the record, and- uh, we can both confirm that we will never be good enough for our mum anyway. So there's no point trying. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> so you, so you, you, you seem quite, philosophical and relaxed about those things but there must be things that you think flipping heck i wish i wish i knuckled down and got that sorted or i wish that um i was better at that and, and maybe not so much in terms of just the focus stuff and so on because actually you may it sounds like you beat yourself up about a little bit because you are highly productive because you produce excellent comedy you've written a book 
you know, you're with the band, you get stuff done. How, what, aside from, um, uh, in fact, I know you wouldn't want to change the ADHD because you've spoken about it, but if, you, if I could wave a magic wand, what thing would you like to be 10% better at tomorrow? Uh, the kind of career driving stuff. What does that mean? There's a comedian who I, I, I shall not name, but they are um, an absolute avatar for me of someone who is, for someone whose success vastly outstrips their comedic talent. And, and everybody listening can think of a comedian that they think is more successful than they deserve to be, uh, although that's usually unfair. Um, yeah. This, however, isn't. And this particular person is, is, is on lots of telly, and, and they're, they're just not very funny. They are, however, incredibly ruthless at networking and pushing themselves. And the only thing they talk about is their career. And it's kind of sickening. Uh, however, <laughs> the other end of it, you've got people like me who, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at comedy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I have an ability at it and, but I'm really rubbish at pushing myself and I'm rubbish at the, you know, the kind of five year plan sort of that sort of thing. And so I would like to be better at getting in touch with people. Um, now I've, I, <laughs> you say wave a magic wand. I have used magic to become better at this stuff. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, no, there's no, no apology necessary. Um, the thing is, magic isn't a shortcut. <laughs> it's, it's complicated, it's difficult, but it does work. I had a, a couple of years ago, I had a horribly empty diary, and so I launched a shoal of sigils. Now, sigils are a symbol of a thing you want to make happen. Um, there are various ways of creating them, it's a you know, visual symbol. Um, uh, you The way I use is you write out the thing that you want to happen, but you write it out as though it has happened or is happening um, because magic doesn't deal with time very well. Uh, so you write, for example, I have a full diary of gigs. You take out all the vowels and you take out all the repeating letters and you're left with a, with a, a string of consonants. You then mould those together into a, a, an aesthetically pleasing image and then you launch the image. There are various magical ways of, of launching the, the sigil. Um, but a, a more effective thing is if you want a desire like a full diary, you break that desire down into its constituent parts. So, for example, I am proactive at contacting promoters. Um, I am well regarded among promoters. I am good at communicating. All these various things. Um, and then you, you launch all those sigils in one go and they work and I did this and I think in two days booked about 37 gigs into my diary and and people were emailing me out of the blue saying hey you know <laughs> got some gigs for you it really works um so there are magical ways of of increasing your productivity the thing is that took me about two or three hours <laughs> to do that okay so um oh you have disappeared no I haven't oh okay cool I'm here uh, good <laughs> no no um I'm just I'm thinking while you're talking about that because we promote things like uh, uh, getting things done by David Allen. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. Um, it's a it's a way of getting things done. It's called a uh, a task management process, but it's not really. It's it's a way of thinking. And so, for example, it's very down to earth. One of his rules is the two minute rule. If if something comes on your plate, you can do it in two minutes. Just do it. Right. No, don't don't put it into a system and plan it and so on. Because actually, if you can just do it. Just do it, get it done, and move on to the next thing. 
If you've got 10 things to do that will take two minutes long, then you need to give a bit of thought to which one's the priority and so on. But as part of that process, he talks about things being projects. And he says that everything that you do that's got more than one step is a project. Mm-hmm. So, for example, recording this podcast has a series of steps. Mm-hmm. Recording this podcast is a project. But it can be if you've got to make a phone. So let's say uh, you've got to order new tyres for your car, which I'm trying to sort out at the moment. Well, I've got to find out how much they cost, find the place that's got the best price, decide how I'm going to pay for it, book them and arrange them to do it, and then have them come and change the tyres. Mm. The mistake people make is they say, on my to-do list, it's sort my tyres out. Yeah. That actually consists of four or five discrete little steps. Yeah. And it's really interesting because what you've just talked about there is very similar, that actually once you break it down into knowing what the things are you can practically do yeah, to yeah. influence that, they work like magic. They work like magic, and 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 there are there. I think there are there are three processes happening when you launch a shoal of sigils to bring about something uh, in the real world. The first thing you're doing is breaking it down into steps and feeding that information into your head that yeah. that is what it is. It is a system of a series of steps, not what I have to do today is fill my diary. Yeah. Um, the second thing you're doing when you launch them. There's within chaos magic. There's a, a, a notion called gnosis, G N O S I S, and it's a state whereby your unconscious brain is receptive to commands. Mm-hmm. When you launch a sigil, you're putting them into your unconscious mind, um, and there, your brain is working on those tasks without you without you realize. Well, your kind of executive higher brain functions realizing it. Um, so you push that that. That that willpower, you know, the, the the will to make something happen deep into the core of your of your mind. Yeah. And then the third thing that I believe happens is you nudge the probability of things coming about. I the where my my belief in magic becomes esoteric is I think it's possible through magical means to change the probability of certain events happening. Now all you're doing is changing the probability. So for example, if you want to do magic to win the lottery. Well, you have odds of something like fifty million to one against you. Magic's not that effective. Yeah, you can't bring about uh, an eclipse if an eclipse isn't happening. What you can do is shut your eyes. Say again. You shut your eyes. <laughs> yes. What you can do is you can alter your mind to to tune it in to the the various infinite amount of information that's out there. And for example it will occur to you to email a particular person. Yes, yes. It will, it, and, and if, you, if you send an email out to every promoter in your, in your address book, through magical means, they will be slightly more inclined, each of them, to read it, think well of you, you know, etc. So There seem to be lots of parallels of what you're talking about there and the psychology of knowing you've written an email in a particular way that gets a result. Yeah. And I wasn't being facetious when I said cl- close your eyes. What I was suggesting is that you might not be able to block the sun out with the moon by either invoking magic or writing it on a to-do list. But what you can do is you can influence the consequence to you as an individual by shutting your eyes because actually Absolutely. everything gets dark. And there's a, I think there's a, there's a middle ground between understanding or being clear about what do you want? Do you actually want the sun blocked out or do you actually want it to get dark? Get dark? Because there's other ways true. of getting that end result. And, but, but also, the other thing that magic does is it opens you up to those, those oblique ways of solving a problem. 
and oblique ways in which a problem might be solved. So if you if you want to get rich, the best way to do that is to become better at the things you're good at and monetize them rather than wish rather than play the lottery or or spend less money. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. Why? That's the thing. You break it down. Why do you want to become rich? Well, I want to become rich in order that I can do that. It's like the, the exactly the, the rich businessman talking to the fisherman saying, "Oh, I I, I fish as well, you know, yeah. and, and I, I built up this empire so that I could have two weeks a year where I go fishing." And the fisherman says, well, "I do it fifty-two weeks a year." Yeah, and for two weeks a year, I go and stand in an office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of what you. You, you said if we could wave a magic wand, you'd want to get better at the career stuff. Do you? Are you talking in terms of how driven you are, or are you talking in terms of it as a skill? I suppose it's it's the skill of putting my energy in the right place. Okay. And, and where would your energy need to go? What are the areas that you'd want to be able to place your energy into? This, I, I guess just being 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 generally better at that that clutch of skills that is being a comedian. Um, the one the one that I always focus on is being funnier, <laughs> being yeah. being a better artist, right? But then there's, I, I mean, this this is the thing. I a little while ago I was bemoaning that I was crap at networking, and then I remembered when the BBC didn't want my sitcom, I was chatting to my friend Neil Gaiman about it, who said. Do you want me to executive produce that for Netflix? <laughs> and oh, I went, okay. <laughs> uh, do you know what? Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm not so bad at this networking lark. And I suppose what you what you got a got a grasp of, and for many people sometimes this can be the difference between actually making those things and happen and them not happening, is in order for that to happen, you've only actually got to take one little step. You've only got to do one little thing. And for some people it can be um a morning routine or an end of day routine. Some people's meditation. El Guapo is their morning routine. Some people's El Guapo is getting the pills paid on time. Our El Guapo is a Mexican bandit who wants to kill us. Our El Guapo happens to be the real El Guapo. <laughs> but if you, if you, um, if you, it's the small things. And I've learned over doing some of this stuff for this podcast and the stuff I listen to and so on, is actually realizing the, the power and the beauty of the little tiny things. I set my alarm clock. I get, I get up at all sorts of different times, like you. You know, I, I, I don't have a routine. Sometimes I get up at 4.50 a.m. Sometimes I get up at 6.11 a.m. Yeah. Um, and I set my alarm clock for weird times because I know exactly how long it takes me to get out of the house. And right. I want to get every minute of sleep because I need to have my seven hours sleep. And there's an element of intent. I am in control of the time I get up. I am deciding to get up at 4.52. And when that alarm goes off, I'm going to get out of bed because I've decided that it's time to get out of bed. Yes. And, that, and that routine of putting some intention, um, I use the word intentionality, I don't know if that's a word, um, but certainly putting some intention into that. And then the very first thing I do is I go into, uh, into the bathroom, I look in the mirror and I smile. Now, W.C. Field said, the first thing I do each day is smile because you might as well get it out of the way. But I like the, I like you know, I I like the idea of saying the very first thing I'm going to do is to look happy. And sometimes it's really, really hard to do. But actually, you know, come back to where we started this conversation. You're talking about the physiology of what happens when you stand up on. It's on, really on the stage. annoying that that works, isn't it? That smiling yeah. thing. How yeah, annoying yeah. is it? How yeah, like new age Gwyneth Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow exactly. happy clappy? But it really works. You should not work. You should not work. But you do and. And it's the same, we, we, we talked in, in some previous episodes about 
changing habits and baby steps and recognizing that just do the simple little thing first, do that. And then once you're in the habit of doing that, the rest of it just will come. But it is, it's really interesting, isn't it? That procrastination, that, that psychological, just taking the first step, yeah. which, which might be for many people, just write it down on a bit of paper. Because yeah. once you've written it down on a bit of paper, then it becomes real. Then it goes into your brain, it gets into your psyche, and suddenly you start thinking about the ways you can make it happen. Yeah. Fantastic. Listen, Andrew, um, I'm, I'm, I've run out of tape. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to put another reel on. Um, this has been really, really interesting, actually, and we've got, we've got stuff out of this conversation I genuinely wasn't expecting to get out of it, which I think is, uh, is, is, is fantastic. Definitely. So um, how do people find about you and who you are? I have a website, androneal.co.uk, and that lists my gigs. You can also go to Twitter, HTTP. (laughs) (laughs) WWW, full stop. I'm Destructo9000 on Twitter. Um, and I have a Facebook page, Andrew O'Neill. I, I have a page you go mobile phone, and when I when I um I, I there's a little thing where you you buy internet access for it for it for a month, and it still says for for using Facebook, MySpace, or Bebo. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Well so you're done, Orange. You're Destructo nine thousand at Twitter. Yeah. You're on Facebook and AndrewO'Neill.co.uk on the electric internet. In fact. If you type in Andrew O'Neill into Google, you come up in about the first 30 searches anyway. Uh, yeah, well, Alta, Alta, if you use Alta Vista or Ask Jeeves, other search engines are available. Other search engines are available. Go to the Radio Times website. <laughs> type in Andrew O'Neill. If you have a look in your Thompson local, <laughs> and you'll find, uh, you'll find a link to Andrew's shed where you can go and buy jokes from him. <laughs> <laughs> Let your fingers do the walking. Find Andrew O'Neill in the Yellow Pages. Good old Yellow Pages. We're not just there for the nasty things in life, like a leaky roof. <laughs> good, isn't it? My Joss Ackland's good, isn't it? <laughs> I can only do it really. I can only do it really quietly, though. No one would have believed the last years of the night. No one century. would have believed, and let's just turn into the trip. <laughs> <laughs> No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. <laughs> worlds. Few men even considered the possibility of Few men <laughs> even considered the possibility. <laughs> right, listen, Andrew, um, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? What did you think about things like sigils and ritual magic? Now, whatever you think about those things, I particularly enjoyed exploring the similarity between what Andrew talked about there and what I'd consider a more conventional approach to setting goals by breaking them down into their action steps and then writing them down so our subconscious brain can get to work on making them happen. Whatever you think, it's clear that having a morning routine, trying to change habits, And the good old challenge of procrastination aren't just problems of a nine-to-five lifestyle. Thanks again, Andrew, for joining us and sharing a slice of your world. I'll put links to his website, social media, and details of his new book in the show notes. I've seen the show, so if that's anything to go by, the book is going to be a scream. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you're not already a subscriber, head over to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use and hit subscribe. 
If you don't use a podcatcher and you're listening to this via the website, if you click on the subscribe page, it will take you to where you need to go. And that way, you'll get each new episode fresh into your inbox as it comes out. I'm off. I'll see you next time for episode 18. And in the meantime, don't forget, don't waste time comparing yourself to anyone else. The only person that you should aim to be better than is the person that you were yesterday. Bye-bye. Good old yellow pages. We're not just there for the nasty things in life, like a leaky roof. <laughs> good, isn't it? But Joss Ackland's good, isn't it? <laughs>